All right, y'all, so the, uh, just some small things going on in the world right now, right? Okay, so here's what I read from uh, Psalm 72 this morning. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Uh, and then it gives a reason for it. Uh, try to guess what the reason is. May all kings bow down before him. May all kings serve him, all nations serve him. Russia. Ukraine, United States, all right? What's the reason <laughs> for he delivers the needy when they call? Holy cow, I did not expect that, honestly, when I read this. Did not expect that at all. That's the reason. So somehow God gets the most glory when you're the most needy. and that you actually serve him and bow down before him by being needy. So we're gonna pray that. We're gonna pray that Putin figures that out. We're gonna pray that nations figure that out, that we figure that out. Let's pray together. Lord, um, shocking text. that your glory, your power, uh, your might is most demonstrated, uh, most glorified, most seen, most treasured, most trusted as the deliverer. And so Lord, this morning, right now, we're all gonna confess our need before you. We're gonna confess our need of you and we're going to do so personally. We're going to say, we need you here. We need you there. So hear our prayers right now. Lord, we have loved ones, we have family, we have friends, um, we have this community, uh, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, fathers and mothers in Christ, and so we're going to pray for them right now, and we're going to pray for specific needs that they have for you right now. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And then, Lord, we want to pray for uh, Ukraine. Um, Colin just informed me that our, our tradition, our denomination, our tribe, um, specifically there's a pastor over there that said he was going to preach this morning uh, if there was a church to preach to. And so, Lord, we pray for him, and we pray for many like him, and we pray for your church in the Ukraine. And we pray for your church in Russia. And we pray for your church in the United States. 
in the church around the world, in the church in Waco, uh, that we would um, be needy and that we would call upon you for deliverance. For you are the God of daily deliverances, the God of many, many deliverances. For you are the God of the ultimate cosmic deliverance from the ultimate darkness, the ultimate despot, the ultimate tyranny, sin, death, evil powers. So Lord, we ask that all nations would bow down before you. We ask that almighty kings would bow down before you. We ask that we would bow down before you. For you are the God who delivers the needy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so we're continuing our, our series this morning on Bible basics. So first, what did we look at? The Bible. And what question did we ask? What is the Bible? And we answered that. It's on the website if you missed it. Uh, second, we looked at God last week. What was the question? Who is God? Uh, today, if you're wondering, like, what kind of, what you know, what's your outline, Jeff? What's your format? Well, we're roughly following the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're doing it in Theology 101. Uh, we're doing it here. So it's following a doctrinal system, a map, as you will. So today, we're going to look at uh, chapters 3, chapter 5, but we're looking at the topic of control. And the question is, who has it? And does it matter? Does control matter? So, let's think of it this way. Ah, we're not there yet, but we're almost there yet. We got a little tease of it, and then I don't know what happened with the weather. It changed, and now we're back to weather I do not like at all. I was just talking with Rob Baker. I mean, if Rob and I had our, just be glad we're not God of this weather, because we would have 90 to 100 degree weather, 365 days a year. Amen, brother. That's right. And that's why the beach is my happy place. The beach is his happy place. But this is not my happy place. I do not like this weather at all. But let's think of the, the leisurely days of summer, right? Eddie Melendez, 21 years old, is enjoying a beautiful, sunny, leisurely summer day in Tampa, Florida. The windows are down. <laughs> the warm breeze blowing through his hair. He's singing his favorite music on the radio. He's enjoying a beautiful sunny day until an old truck swerves in front of him. What was it, a 1970s model? He couldn't figure it out, but it starts swerving in front of him. And Eddie has no time to think. He has only time to react. And he, he does the only option to him. He swerves off the road to avoid the swerving truck. So he's on the side of the road, goes on the shoulder, then goes into the grassy area, right? It's off the side of the road that follows the side of the road. So far, so good. Amazing, right? Amazing his quick reflexes. Amazing his perception. Amazing that the shoulder was free. The grassy knoll or whatever you call that on the side of the highway was free. Uh, everything was so good until he pumps his brakes. 
nothing. Once, twice, nothing. Foot to the floor, nothing, no brakes. He pulls the emergency brake, and you guess at what? Nothing. His Honda's not stopping. Now, what does Eddie do next? Well, what Eddie does next is the only thing he could do next is he was going right towards it. Uh, he went right into the canal. That's, this is Florida, right? He went right into the canal on the side of the road. Now, if this was Ohio, this wouldn't be a big deal. But this is Florida. And not just any stretch of Florida. This is called Alligator Alley, is what the locals call this canal that he just went into. So this canal is infested with alligators. And you're thinking, can it get any worse? And the answer is, of course it can get worse. Because somewhere in the wrestling with the emergency brake, his glasses fall off his face. And did I tell you he's legally blind? So he careens off the road into a canal, a canal infested with alligators, and he can't see. Control. <laughs> Who has it? And does it matter? Well, some say Eddie has control. He left work early. He clocked out early because he lied. He said he was sick. But he really wasn't sick. And then if Eddie didn't lie and leave work, none of this would have happened. And then if Eddie would have paid attention to the flashing light on his dash two weeks ago about his brakes, none of this would have happened. And if Eddie had been singing less and watching more, none of this would have happened. So, and then there's Eddie's diet. Because Eddie doesn't like carrots. And we all know carrots are good for your eyesight. But in fact, Eddie likes lots of processed food, and everyone knows processed food is not good for your eyesight. In fact, he was munching on Chicken McNuggets 20 minutes before this incident happens. Eddie has control. Control. Who has it? Does it matter? Well, some say circumstances have control. Some places they call it karma. Other places throughout church history have called it, or throughout world history, have called it fate. So circumstances, karma, fate are the timing of everything. Can you believe the timing of everything? He just happened to be right there on the road when the truck swerves. The whole timing is amazing, right? There's the karma, the circumstances, the fate of the swerving truck. There's the karma, the circumstances, the fate of the brakes not working. There's the karma, the circumstances, the fate of the glasses falling off his face. There's the karma, the circumstances, the fate that this is Florida, and there's a canal, and there are alligators. Who has control? Circumstances, karma, fate, some say. Some say evil forces have control. There's evil behind the line. There's evil behind the swerving of the truck. There's evil behind the brakes not working. There's evil that pushed the glasses off his face. And all of us know there's evil with gators. Evil has control. Control, who has it? Does it matter? Some say sin has control. I mean, he lied. He 
He lied to get out early. He lied. His lies put him on the road. His lies got him into the situation in the first place. But then also, Eddie is sleeping with his girlfriend. And also, Eddie smokes weed. Eddie doesn't change in these areas. Eddie cannot change in these areas because sin has control. Control. Who has it? And does it matter? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. We're going to be looking at Romans 8. We're going to look at 28 through 30. All right, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak us back to life again. This is an incredibly um, mysterious uh, and yet uh, revealed to us. You have, with some clarity, the wonders of it. And so we're asking right now that you would give us clarity in our thinking and you would, you would not only give us clarity, but you would give us a deep sense of praise and rest and reliance and rejoicing in this, this wonder of control and who has it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so look at, look at verse 28. Let's look at it together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So control, who has it and does it matter? The Apostle Paul answers very clearly here. Do you see it? It's incredibly clear. It doesn't mean that it's incredibly easy to understand, like it's easy to grasp, but it's incredibly clear. God has control. The answer is who has control? God. God has control. So right away, he's going to tell us, right away, you don't have control. I don't have control. Circumstances, karma, fate doesn't have control. Evil forces do not have control. Sin does not have control. Okay, God has control. But Paul is even clearer. Do you see it? Not only does God have control, he has control over all things. Do you see that word, all things, in there? This is incredible. All things, you, me, evil, sin, circumstances, karma, fate, whatever you want to call it, all things. In fact, this whole text, the whole structure of the text is emphasizing all things. Everything's zeroing in on all things. It's like Paul knows we struggle with all things. It's like he knows we need to know. Does God have control over the choices, the actions, my eyesight, the diets, everything that goes on in our life? And the Bible says all things. We want to know, does God have control over a swerving truck, brakes, glasses falling off the face, canals and gators? The Bible said all things. Does God have control over the evil forces that lurk behind a lot of things that happen in life? The evil that comes at us, 
And the Bible says, all things. Does God have control over my sin? The wreckage and the ruinous breakdown it brings to my life and my relationships and my vocation and the things I handle and touch and deal with in life. And what about cultures and nations' sins? And the Bible says, all things. So control, who has it? Well, the Bible's clear, God has it over all things. And this is where things get a little controversial, right? And you say, what's so controversial, Jeff? Uh, why are you hesitating, Jeff? Uh, what's wrong, Jeff? I've never seen you like back down like this, Jeff. Paul is saying, the Bible is saying, God is saying, here's the controversy. Are you ready? You already know this. You already know God is in control over all things, the Bible is saying. Look at 828, and here it is, we know. And we know all things work together for good. And we're all saying, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, Paul? And we know. You just kind of waltzed into this text, and you drop a bomb like that, and you're saying, and we know. Well, I'm like, do we know? I mean, really do we know? We have whole theological systems, whole traditions in the church, whole denominations, and whole pathways, seminaries, histories. I don't know. Calvinism and Arminianism come to mind. It seems to communicate we don't really know. I want you to look at verses 20. Well, you don't. But in verses 26 and 27, before we even get to 28, all right, in Romans 8, just before this, Paul says we don't know how to pray. Do you see that? If you have your Bible, you're able to look at it. If you don't, maybe you can scroll up. But trust me, in that he's saying, look, we don't know what to pray. But in the very next verse, so 26, 26 and 27, he says, people, you don't know how to pray. He gets to 28 and he says this, but we do know how control works. But we do know that God is in control over all things. He's saying, listen, it's not as difficult as you think it is. It's not as hard to grasp as you thought it was. It's accessible to you. You can do this, he's saying. You already know this, he's saying. And we're saying, how do we know this? How do you know this? How could he say such a thing? And the answer is, we already know something about control, though. Every one of us here already knows something about control. We all know we want it. We all know we struggle with it. We all know we crave it. We all know that our spouses and our children, our friends, our neighbors, we know our churches and we know the culture and we know Putin and we know the Ukraine and we know the American leaders all want control, crave control, struggle for control. We know every society wants control, craves control, struggles for control. We know every relational conflict. I've been a pastor for, I don't know, what is it now, 20-something years? And when I get in there, 
in my own struggles in my own relationship with my wife, with my kids, and I deal with other people's struggles in their marriages and their relationships, and I watch the struggles on TV. It's all about control. We crave it. We want it. We struggle over it. We know control is a big deal. We know the struggle for control is a big deal. We know that the struggle for control in our own life ruins our life. We know the struggle for control in our relationships ruins our relationships. We know the struggle in the culture is ruining the culture. We know the struggle going on between a nation wanting to control another nation is diabolically ruining another nation. Augustine said the lust for control soon controls us. So Paul is saying the issue with control is not the desire for it. That's what he's saying. Listen, wanting control is not bad. The need for control is not bad. The issue is not desiring control. The issue is with control, who has it? The issue is where do you get it? The issue is the issue is not that you need control in your relationship and you need control in your life. The issue is who has the control. And when we realize who has control, we actually get control. Because our control is in someone else. All that we crave, all that we long for, all that we struggle for is actually found in someone else. So, control, who has it, does it matter? It's not as hard as we think, Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God has it. And you already know that, he says. So think about it this way. There was a text thread going on. Uh, my brother, Colin, uh, and Mark Roberts was in on it. And one set, two, we were talking, and it was just over this decrees. And it got me thinking about this. Think about it this way. If Eddie, if Eddie... Eddie, if his willpower and his choices and his actions and his, his diet has control, then Eddie is God. And Eddie has the last word. And that is terrifying. If circumstances and karma and fate and swerving trucks and the timing of things and breaks and canals and gators have control, then circumstances is God. And that's terrifying. If evil powers if your sin, your messes, your struggles with yourself, this breakdown power, this dark mass of self-absorption you just can't shake, if it has control, ultimate control, then it's God. And that Control is not as complicated as we think. Who has it? The Bible says God has it. 
And we know this because he's God. All things work together for good. So God has control over all things. Everyone knows this already, but it's hard to experience, is it not? I mean, it's sometimes it's hard to grasp. I mean, even in the class we just were having in there, it's a, there's a real, what's called an antinomy. There's a, there's a mystery that goes on with this issue of God's sovereignty. It's almost like, I want you to think of it this way. The Bible is clear about some things, and then it's not clear about some things. So in other words, when it's clear about, let's say, secondary causes, real meaningful choices and things that we do that happen and the circumstances that happen. The theologians have called those secondary causes. There's real meaning to these things, and the Bible says they are. And, and let's say it talks about them to this extent. And then over on this side, it talks about God's control. And it talks about it up to this extent. What's in between? The Bible just doesn't talk about it. What's in between? Mystery. But what tends to happen is the Bible goes to hear about God's control, but we tend to push it out here. And we all of a sudden say, well, he's just not as in control as I am. See how this works? So I want you to think of that the Bible does talk about these things and that it's clear about some things, but then it's not clear about some things, and it's meant to not be clear about those things because in here is mystery. And then even here, I'm just going to throw this out for fun because I just started thinking about it. There is what's called intra-Trinitarian conversations between the Trinity. And the work that goes on, there's three persons in the Trinity all circling each other. And we don't know what goes on in there because we're not the fourth person in the Trinity. But whatever goes on in this counsel of his will, you get words in the Bible that talk about, give descriptions of, sort of some interpretations of what goes on in this inter-Trinitarian dynamic of God. You get words like ordain, foreknow, predestination, sovereignty, the counsel of his will. He ordains whatsoever. That's stuff that goes in here, and that's good stuff. But you're only given a certain amount of words to describe that. What happens outside of it is everything we deal with. And in fact, one of the prophets said, listen, guys, he went up to the nation of Israel, and they were, they were have going through some hard things. The culture was going through some hard things. And he goes, listen, listen, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Listen, the stuff that goes on in the mind of God is not up for you. It's not up for grabs. You're not supposed to know that stuff. You deal with what's revealed. God has control. Everybody knows this. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult to grasp. But ultimately, God has control. But it's hard to experience. I think that's where we're really, where this gets really difficult for us is the experience side of it. Because the world is not a happy place. We've had COVID. We've had culture wars. We've got real wars going on right now. Will there be more? Will World War III start now? I mean, we might as well, since everything else has been going in this direction for two years, right? And many of, you are, many of you right now are experiencing yourself right now. You're experiencing your own failures, things that you've done. 
You're experiencing decisions you've made, actions you've done, and they have nothing to do with sin. You just, you're experiencing your humanness. You're experiencing, you know, you got to make decisions, and some people get paralyzed by decisions. Some people just make decisions, and sometimes when you just make decisions, they're the wrong decisions. Welcome to my life. I have no problem making decisions. I make quick decisions. Oops. Some of you are experiencing that dynamic in your relationships. Again, it has nothing to do with sin. You're just experiencing you. And when you're experiencing you, it's hard. This issue of control, it's hard to experience God being in control of all things. And then some of you are experiencing horrible circumstances right now. You have swerving trucks in your life. You have brakes that don't work in your life. The glasses have fallen off your face. You're in the canal, and it's gator infested. You feel so out of control with everything that seems to have so much control in your life. And not to mention, I mean, some of you are experiencing outright evil forces. Accusation that's just so powerful you can't even crawl out of bed. Temptation that's so overwhelming you feel like the worst person that ever lived on the face of the earth. And then there's abuse. There's the mistreatment and the dehumanizing power that others have over you, possibly. Control of God having control is so hard to experience in those times. And lastly, what about your own sin? The deep struggles that you have. Maybe it's lying, maybe it's sexual sin, maybe it's addictions. You know what God says to you right now, to all of you right now in this experience? God says to you right now, I have control over all things. I have control over all those things. And then our minds go, okay, but these aren't good things. And all things doesn't mean good things. It means all things. In other words, is everything good or all things good or all your decisions good? All this, of course it's not good. And we need to be able to say that. And part of Embracing God being in control over all things is actually being able to process the bad things rightly. Because if God isn't control over all things, when you have these all things and you have the bad things in the all things, you don't know what to deal with them, so you stuff them. And you deny them. And that never works. Mental health people are going to tell you that breaks you down mentally. It breaks you down emotionally. It breaks you down relationally. Stuffing stoicism never works. And then others are going to say, God's not in control over all things, and you have all these things, you don't stuff it, instead you surrender to it as if they have all the control. 
And it seems like there's only two responses outside of the Bible that were given to deal with all things. I either stuff it or I surrender to it. And the Bible says you don't have to do either of those. Because God is in control of all things, there's another way forward. You actually can process your pain with God. You can process the all things with God because he's in control over all things, ultimately. And what that means is the all things is that God overrides it for your good. This is where it's just unbelievable. If we get this, the most courageous stuff is packed in here. The bravest person is packed in here. If you get that God is in control over all things, not that all things are good, but that he overrides all things for good, that means you could be like that grandfather. I mean, I tell you, you watch a grandfather go up in front of a tank and stand in front of a tank? I watched a grandmother walk up to a Russian soldier and put her finger in his face. Those kind of people come from believing stuff like this. God overrides all things for your good. Now, let's look at the reason why. Verse 29 Four, here's how we know how God overrides all things. Isn't that interesting? So he says this incredible thing that we just saw in 28. Okay, God's in control over all things, and here's the reason. Four, here's the reason. Here's how we know this. Those whom he foreknew, that's an inter-Trinitarian word, right? So I'm, I'm so glad I said this. So the inter-Trinitarian world, what's one of those words? Foreknew. Oh, what does that mean? I don't, well, it's in here. And we're given a little glimpse of what's in there. How do you know what's in there? We get a word, foreknow. Okay, thank you. Let's move on. He also predestined. There's another one. Okay, it's in there. Well, what's it mean? I don't know, but he's given us a little clue. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined. That's another in Repeat. He also called. Okay, now here's one. Here's a real historical breaking in of God in your personal life. So now we're out of the inner Trinitarian stuff, and now we're in your life, called. Okay, let's keep going. This is a historical work of God in your personal life, called. And those whom he called, same thing, we just said it, he also justified. Well, here's another real historical work of God outside of the inner Trinitarian world, in your life, in other people's life, and in this world. It's a real work, a real breaking in of God historically, into your life because of the history of someone else. Let's keep going. And those who be justified, repeat, he also glorified. So here's a final historical work of God in your personal life based on the historical work of Jesus for you. Phenomenal stuff. Does everybody get all that? No, I didn't think so. I don't either. So these are lots of big words. We're actually going to deal with them in Bible basics in detail in, the, in coming weeks. So we're not going to deal with them now. Here's the point of them right now, though. Look at all those words. Look at all those beautiful, beautiful words. In a Trinitarian words, outside historical words, in my life, here's what you need to know. Everything here is grace. 
everything. In a Trinitarian grace, historical grace, past grace, present grace, future grace, all things grace. For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that his son, his son might be the firstborn among many brothers. The firstborn among many brothers and sisters means Jesus is the grace. He's the firstborn. What that means is that he's the preeminent. What that means is that he's the king. But that he's bringing a whole bunch of people with him. He's the first of a multitude and multitude and an endless multitude of brothers and sisters. And so whatever Jesus has done in his life and in his death and his resurrection has been so cosmically powerful that it encompasses all the wonders of grace and grace words that are talked about in this passage and that he is the grace and what he's accomplished is he actually brings you with him. So whatever happens to Jesus happens to you. Jesus is the grace. Jesus is the all things grace. Jesus is the last word. Jesus is the overriding one. Jesus is the overcoming one. Jesus is the victorious one. Jesus is the winning one. And that's why all things, all things, all things work together for your good. So what does that mean for you and me? Here's what it means. Be the Russian grandfather. Get back up. Get back up. Be brave and experience Jesus' grace for you. So those of you struggling with the control of circumstances and fate and karma, whatever you want to call it, those of you struggling with you, whatever's going on with you, those of you struggling with evil powers, maybe just looking at what happens in the world, what's happened in the past two years has just freaked you out, overwhelmed you. This is the first time you've gotten out of the house in two years. Maybe you're being overwhelmed with your own sin. This is what Jesus is saying to you right now. He is saying this to you right now. Get back up. Be brave. I have control over all things. You don't have control. Don't let it have control. Don't let you have the last word. Don't let circumstances have the last word. Don't let evil have the last word. Don't let your sin have the last word. Get back up. God has the last word, and his name is Jesus. So, Jesus says, I am the Lord over all things. Let's pray.